It is the 100th episode of the Disciple Henson podcast. Thank you, listeners, for the encouragement over the years, over these episodes. Thanks for the feedback, the suggestions. Today's guest is, of course, the one who started it all, the one who had the idea for this podcast Dr. Jeff Chang, former associate pastor at Henson Baptist Church from 2010 to 2020. Uh, and now he is the curator of the Spurgeon Library at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, as well as a professor of church history. I wanted to catch up with one of my best friends in the world, Jeff, and hear how things are going briefly, but then get into Charles Spurgeon's views of church membership and discipline. This is something he has spent years studying. He got a PhD on uh, Spurgeon and his um, view of the church. You'll hear him describe a little bit about his research and what he's found as well as why it's relevant for us today. So I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Hope you're encouraged. Dr. Jeff Chang, welcome to the Disciple Henson podcast. Hey, Dan. Good to be here. Uh, that was a perfect emotional response. Like uh, from from you, Jeff, welcome. So good to see you, brother. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Doing well. I'm feeling nostalgic just talking to you. Too bad you've got your background blurred. I can't see where you are, though. I, I'd love a more nostalgic background from mm. you. Maybe, maybe if you have a really kind of long, boring answer at some point during this uh, this episode, I'll try to figure out how to uh, how to do that. I don't know. I don't even know how that happened. I'm in a very blurry room. Okay. No, good. I'm I'm in the um, room 304. We've had some oh, some yeah. great meetings over the years in this room. It, it yes. I'm sure it looks pretty much the same. Mm. So that's uh, where it all started. That's where Disciple Henson started. Is this where it started? Yeah, that's right. So do you remember that first episode, Dr. Todd Miles? Dr. Todd Miles. We were talking about something, some aspect of systematic theology. And when when you started Disciple Henson Podcast 100 episodes ago with Dr. Todd Miles in this room, did you ever think that it would uh, sweep evangelicalism and the nation and uh, have people like Taylor Swift, Jay-Z, Jeremy Lin? Mm you know, no, clamoring I, I to be on the show. Yeah. Never could have, could have guessed. No, that. if, uh, if CT hadn't released the, the, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, we would have been number one for up to this point, but, but that latest podcast kind of yeah. pushed us man. Slot, so. Mike Cosper, that, that, yeah. that guy, all that fancy music and all that stuff that they do, you know, we just can't match that. Yeah. Um, although I do, uh, since you've left, I do have uh, these um, eight sound effects that are that are pretty amazing. So, okay, yeah, well, you'll you'll get to hear some of those throughout. We'll regain the number one slot soon. Then I look forward to that. What? Um, well, speaking of this podcast, what was kind of? Let's talk about the genesis of it. Like, what gave you the idea for doing a podcast for Henson uh, Baptist Church? Well, uh, you know. I was listening to a lot of podcasts during those days. Such as? Um, like nerdy church history podcasts, uh, like uh, Michael Haken's Bead 
and um, five minutes in church history and other things like that. Um, and I just thought, boy, you know, with all the time I spent in the car, taking my kids to school, doing chores and listening to things, wouldn't it be nice if we had some sort of podcast that was aimed just strictly at Henson, right? Don't worry about other people. What does our church need to hear? Um, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have just another channel for the elders to have a kind of teaching ministry with the church? And so uh, I remember us talking it over as a staff, and Michael thought it was a good idea. And so we did it. Um, my, my original intention was just to kind of work through the, uh, the Sunday seminar material, hmm. uh, you know, taking, taking the, that sort of body of content and bringing in teachers who are teaching through that content and just talking through them. Um, but it's clearly expanded since that time in terms of what's going on on the podcast. And here we are today, a hundred episodes later, um, you know, we've, you've, we've, you've, uh, is there a particular favorite episode that you can think of, um, that, that you hosted, uh, not, not to play favorites, but, uh, one that was maybe unexpected. Uh, I remember doing a podcast with, uh, Mike DeBoer and I think the topic was like finding God's will or something like that. Oh yeah. And I thought that that was a really good conversation. I remember, uh, being really encouraged by Mike, of course, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then several folks afterwards also mentioned what a good conversation that was. So, so that would have been a topic that was coming from the Sunday seminar material. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike had just taught through it recently. That's great. Um, do you still listen to the Disciple Henson podcast, Jeff? True confession time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's. <see. laughs> <laughs> You're listening now, and that's the important thing. Okay. Uh, well, you know, Jeff, it was so good to see you and the family uh, this this last summer, and great to have you preach God's Word from the Psalms of Ascent. Um, we got a little, a quick update from, from you guys on a Sunday evening over the summer. Uh, just, you know, qu- another, do you want to just give us another really quick update on how you and the family are doing? How's your job going? How are you guys liking Kansas City? How are things going at your church? Uh, just give us, people would love to know kind of how you guys are doing. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we're doing well, by God's grace. Um, <clears throat> Steph continues to be very busy with her work, uh, taking classes, working on her certification uh, for, for her paralegal work. Um, you know, the kids are in school. They're, they're enjoying it. Uh, they're making friends. Jubilee's doing ballet. Ransom's playing soccer. Addison's playing a lot of Legos these days. Uh, so, so they're doing really well. Um, yeah, for me, the, the work at the school is, is also picking up. I'm enjoying teaching more. Uh, I'm learning a lot every day. Um, you know, t- being a professor, uh, I'm learning things very differently from the time when I was a student. You know, I'm, I'm having to teach things forces you to, to learn things. You know, it feels like I'm learning like church history for the very first time in so many ways as I'm preparing to teach these classes. So that's just a huge blessing. I'm really enjoying that. Um, yeah, enjoying the work uh, at Midwestern, uh, connecting with a lot more students these days. Um, as far as my work, as far as the church goes, we're, we're doing well. We're, uh, we're about to celebrate a hundredth anniversary uh, this coming Sunday for our church. So that's exciting. 
Um, we've recently hired on a new associate pastor, Philip Van Stingberg, somebody that Daniel and I used to work with uh, back in DC. So it's just encouraging to have Philip here. Um, You've been nominated as an elder at the church. Yes. And the church has nominated me to serve as an elder. Uh, so Lord willing, they'll be voting on that in December. Uh, I'm grateful for that opportunity. I sat in on an elders meeting recently and I told Dan this, that being at the elders meeting uh, reminded me of all the other elders meetings I've sat in there at Henson. Uh, and it reminded me how much I missed all those brothers around the table, uh, such gifted men that I had the privilege of serving with. Um, so for all of you listening, uh, yeah, I've missed you guys. I've thought of you recently, been praying for you. Uh, and grateful for the privilege of having served with you all those years. Well, we miss you too, brother. And, uh, you know, we just had an elder meeting at Henson last night and, and Jeff, if you ever want to come back and join us for an elder meeting, you could leave at the beginning of when our elder meeting is starting and probably still, uh, get to enjoy the majority of the meeting, uh, by the time you would land here in Portland. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And in fact, I might, uh, I had to hop myself up on a good bit of coffee after a late elder meeting last night. So if I have to leave to use the restroom during this episode, you just, uh, carry things on. I mean, you, you, you know how to host this thing. Um, it kind of feels like things are backwards, but, uh, I am going to interview you today about, uh, Spurgeon's view of church membership and discipline. Um, since you are the expert on such things uh, when it comes to to Chuck Spurgeon. Um, so that's going to be the topic today. I would, I would, I'm sure people would love to hear more about how, how you guys are doing, and uh, we, we miss you guys so much. Um, so you guys got to come back again and visit uh, and hang out here soon. Um, but yeah, we're, as I was telling you a little bit before, we've, we're proposing some revisions to our statement of practices and constitution here at Henson. And so we're, we're just thinking a little bit more about what does a biblical and a healthy uh, church membership and discipline look like in a church today. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about, uh, not everyone will know your, uh, about your dissertation. Um, you, you are a doctor now, you are Dr. Chang. Uh, you did this this work on uh, on Charles Spurgeon and his ecclesiology. Why don't you just tell us qu uh, briefly, uh, kind of how that came about and kind of what your argument is in that in that dissertation? Yeah, sure. Uh, and I should just say, you know, you, you mentioned me having done that work. Uh, I'm I'm so grateful for Henson because it's it's uh, you as a church that made it possible. Uh, you supported me, encouraged me, allowed me to do it while serving you as a pastor, and. Uh, yeah, I'm indebted. I'm so grateful for for how for the role that that you as a church played in me being able to do this research and this writing and this work. Uh, so Charles Spurgeon was a pastor in the 19th century. He was a Baptist. He pastored in London. Uh, London, uh, England was you know in its heyday during that century. Uh, its empire extended all over the world. Uh, its influence, and and there in the capital city, was a country preacher called Charles Spurgeon. Uh, and the Lord did an amazing work uh, through his life. Um, his church became the largest uh, non-conforming church of his day, you know, meaning it was not part of the Church of England. Uh, they had a membership of over 5,000 people. Um, and uh, it's Spurgeon preached thousands and thousands of sermons. Uh, every week his sermons would get published uh, and distributed all over the world. 
um, he, he truly had a tremendous reach. And, and as a result of his preaching, I mean, there are just all kinds of incredible stories of how people were saved and converted uh, because of the way he was able to communicate, uh, communicate the gospel so powerfully, clearly. Um, so as far as the Metropolitan Tabernacle, I mean, that, this was his church. He wasn't just uh, a, a preacher, uh, but he was a pastor. And so for my dissertation, uh, that's what I got to examine, just how did Spurgeon approach his pastoral work? How did he think about the church? Um, how did he organize the church you know, with, with elders and deacons? And, and how did he practice church membership and discipline in such a large church uh, in the 19th century? Uh, and my main argument of my dissertation, it gets kind of technical here, but uh, I basically look at this one kind of dominant theme that Spurgeon loved of, of the church as an army. Uh, he just had a, a deep sense of the fact that we live in a fallen world and, and the church is not a country club. No, it's, it's engaged in a war against sin, against evil, against lostness. Um, and it made for, there is sort of made for a very active church. And so I looked at that theme of, of the church as an army and how that, that influenced uh, his approach to organizing the church, church membership, church discipline, and all those other things. That's awesome. Um, if someone wanted to get a hold of your dissertation uh, to read more about that, uh, how would they, has it been published yet or how, how could you get a hold of it? Yeah, it's in the process of being published. Um, it's going to be published by Christian Focus. So Lord willing, it'll be out next year. Uh, I've also got another work. Uh, so that one is more on Spurgeon's ecclesiology. I've got another work on Spurgeon as a pastor. Uh, and that one is coming out also next year, published by by Lifeway or by B&H Publishing. Okay. Okay. That's exciting. And uh, you were just telling me too that you're working on putting together some um, another work for uh, another publisher. Uh, and what's and tell us the topic of that. Are you yeah, able to talk about not, that yet? Well, it's not confirmed yet. I don't have. Oh, okay, a, it you're pitching it. Yet. Yeah, yeah, I'm pitching it. That's yeah. So I mean, it's hard to imagine um, a, a church of like five thousand members, like practicing church, a uh, meaningful church membership and discipline, like at Metropolitan Tabernacle. But, but they had Metropolitan Tabernacle and Spurgeon's Church did have church membership. Is that what you said? They did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, it's hard to imagine, uh, you know, you've got a, a young preacher. He's 19 years old when he begins to pastor there in London. He's got four other deacons, four or five other deacons serving with him. Um, and the church, you know, the membership when he arrives, is probably around 300. Uh, they've got a few dozen in attendance. But within months, uh, the building's packed out, uh, a building that seats, you know, over a thousand. Uh, people are flocking to hear this this boy preacher, um, and and people are being converted. So they're baptizing, they're bringing people into membership, uh, and so very quickly the the workload just escalates uh, from his arrival. And so you would think, boy, with all these people coming, with kind of a revival in our hands, um, the temptation would be, well, let's let's sort of streamline the process. Let's think how how we can get people through this membership process more quickly, more efficiently. Uh, but, but as you, as I studied kind of the minute books and the sources, it actually becomes clear that they actually become more and more sort of for, um, kind of rigorous in some ways. Uh, they, they actually uh, solidify their membership process. Um, and it's, it's as strict as ever it was before. 
Uh, and, and what you notice is that in the midst of a revival, Spurgeon is deeply concerned not to be um, sort of quickly affirming professions of faith because of an emotional experience or, 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 or you know, just kind of uh, wanting to go with the crowd. Uh, but he really wants to sort of verify that the people who are wanting to join the church are actually converted. Uh, and so the membership process is helping him to sort of examine people's profession of faith. It's, it's quite remarkable. That does sound remarkable. Let's, let's get in. I mean, uh, tell us, like, let's take, take us back. If, if, uh, I'm say I'm, I'm, you know, in my twenties and I go and visit Metropolitan Tabernacle and, you know, Spurgeon has one of those moments where he, he, he points at me, you know, as I'm sitting there and, uh, the Lord uses the word, uh, to convict me of my sin. And I, I make a profession of faith, uh, there, and uh, what would be what would be the process of being baptized, coming into membership at the church? Yeah. So you want to now you've you've been converted by God's grace. You mm-hmm. understand the gospel. You want to be baptized. Uh, you want to and, and really for for Spurgeon, that's how he thought about church membership. It's about publicly identifying with Christ. Um, you know, when he looks in the Bible uh, for church membership, he looks for. Uh, ways in which the New Testament calls us to 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 come out as a Christian, to identify as a Christian, to identify with Christ, and therefore to identify with His people, uh, and and that's where we see kind of church membership in the, in the Bible. Uh, yeah, but if you wanted to join the church, uh, you would come in during a weekday afternoon. Uh, you'd have called in ahead of time and, and set up a meeting with one of the elders, and you would sit down with him, and he would meet with you. He would take down your your testimony uh, on a notebook, ask you questions about how you came to know the Lord, uh, ask you questions about your understanding of the gospel. Um, and then if the elder felt that you were, you know, genuinely converted, uh, he would then set up a meeting for you to meet with, with the pastor himself, which would be Spurgeon. And, uh, and so you'd come back another afternoon, uh, you'd meet, have a time where you actually meet with Charles Spurgeon, and he would have read your testimony ahead of time from, from the elder that interviewed you. And he would have, sort of had questions that he would be thinking of and particularly things he wants to kind of drill into. And so you'd meet with him and he would interview you uh, and ask you further questions. You know, he, in doing all this, he, there's this great quote where he says, you know, our purpose is not to be, uh, he says, the church is not going to, it won't be terrible to you. You know, our purpose is to be very friendly, hmm. uh, to, to, to um, hear about your love of Christ, uh, to, to share with you in our joy in the Savior. Um, so I don't think that these meetings were kind of an interrogation. They were very, very pastoral interviews. Um, so that second pastoral interview would take place. And if all that all went well, then you would next come to a congregational meeting. Oh, I'm sorry. You actually wouldn't come to the first congregational meeting. Uh, one of the elders would then share your testimony with the congregation. Uh, and the congregation at that point would vote to appoint a messenger. And a messenger would be somebody from the congregation, usually a deacon or an elder. That messenger then, step four, would go and visit your place of work, go and visit your neighborhood, uh, and just ask around about people who knew you, ask kind of what your reputation was, uh, and you know, say, hey, did you know that this person was wanting to join the Metropolitan Tabernacle? You know, uh, do you have any concerns about that? Any thoughts about that? Uh, that? That was a component that really made your membership in the church public. Right, you're, you're publicly identifying with Christ, Christ's people. 
So they, then, uh, would anybody call those messengers spies? Spies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they never use that term. Yeah. I'm sure it wasn't comfortable. Uh, yeah. But, you know, this, again, this is a, a very public thing to be joining a church. Yeah. It wasn't something secret. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like th- there is this one applicant that I read who had joined the church and he had actually been suspended from his place of work. And he had talked about that in his membership interview. And so, you know, Spurgeon writes a note in his, in his sort of sheet saying, hey, when the messenger goes and uh, kind of investigates, like, make sure you ask about this, right? Do, do, do we get the full story? Um, and so, yeah, they, they, I guess with, with so many people moving to London, uh, they really wanted to make sure that um, these, all these visitors showing up, I mean, there had to be a way of kind of trying to get to know them in a hurry, you know? And uh, and messengers kind of helped with that. I'm sure. Uh, and then, go ahead. Yeah. Go. Well, that just sounds like I mean that's amazing. Was that a, a pretty uh, countercultural? I mean, were other churches doing this kind of uh, process? And I just can't imagine with all the people coming to Christ, all the people wanting to join Metropolitan Tabernacle. I mean, that just it seems like very consuming. Uh, it, it was. It was a pretty rigorous process. I don't think many churches were doing something like this. Um, in fact, you know, people who wanted to join the church sometimes complain that this, this process took too long, it was too rigorous. But uh, again, like for a church to grow to that size, you, you know, to a church of 5,000, it really argues that the people who joined the church weren't joining carelessly or, or quickly, but they really intended to be a part of that church. Uh, they, they really were serious about their profession of faith. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's it is remarkable, and, and for that all that to be happening during a revival where hundreds of people are coming forward is an amazing thing. That is amazing. So so step five after the messenger comes back, another congregational meeting, he gives a report to the congregation. At that meeting, the applicant is at that meeting, and and Spurgeon just asks him a few brief questions. He's he's chairing the meeting, uh, and then that person is dismissed. The congregation votes, and the person then is scheduled for baptism if he needs to be baptized, or uh, he, he's at the next time they take the Lord's Supper, that's when he officially becomes a member. So you always join the church through a sacrament, either by being baptized or taking the Lord's Supper. Oh, that's that's fascinating. So, so uh, Spurgeon connected um, church membership to the sacraments. You know, he understood that, you know, if you were visiting, say you came and visited uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle and you hadn't been baptized upon your profession of faith, would you be welcome to partake of the Lord's Supper at that church? Yeah, had... that was a big de- Go ahead. That was a big debate among Baptists. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do we allow paedo-Baptists, uh, you know, congregationalists, Presbyterians, even Church of England folks to, to take the Lord's Supper because, you know, none of them have been baptized upon their profession of faith? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there were those Baptists who, who said, no, absolutely not. You know, all, all Christians understand uh, uh, the Lord's Supper is for, for baptized believers, uh, for those who have publicly professed faith in Christ. Uh, so those strict Baptists, strict communion Baptists said, therefore, we shouldn't allow those people to the table. Spurgeon was different. Spurgeon was held to an open communion position. Uh, he himself came from a paedo-Baptist background, but he became convinced of believers' baptism. Uh, but in terms of his communion position, he allowed 
Pedro Baptists, visiting Pedro Baptists to take the Lord's Supper. Obviously, they couldn't join the church. Uh, to join the church, they have to be baptized. Um, but uh, he, he allowed them to partake as long as they were members of uh, a local church. So, so for visiting Pedro Baptists, if you want to take the Lord's Supper, you had to come during the week and, again, meet with an elder or a deacon, and that elder or deacon would interview you, make sure you have a credible profession of faith, make sure you are a member of another local church in good standing, you know, and it could be a, a Presbyterian church or uh, an evangelical congregational church. Um, and if, if you were a member in good standing, then you would be allowed, you'd, you'd receive a ticket, and that would allow you to take the Lord's Supper that following Sunday. Have you seen any of those tickets? Where is it like a Chuck E. Cheese like uh, like kind of ticket? Uh, we I, we have some some of those tickets left over. It's not like a Chuck E. Cheese ticket. Um, Can you show me one uh, on yeah, the Zoom? What's that? Can you show me uh, one on the Zoom? <laughs> do, you, do you have some tickets right there, like on your desk? No, no, I only have scans of some. I don't have it. I wish I had some. Oh man! Actually, if you want to get Jeff, Doctor Jeff Chang, a nice gift, you can uh, go find some of those tickets. Maybe you can find them. Well, on you'd eBay. have to break into the Metropolitan Tabernacle into their archives and, and take it from them. And you wouldn't so recommend that. that. You you've no. tried that and it didn't work out well for you. Well, if you're gonna do that, I'd probably have some other things you can steal first before those tickets. Oh, I don't know. Those tickets sound pretty cool because yeah. that's like cool. your ticket to the Lord's Supper. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and uh, and and the well, we can talk about this later. But um, the members also had tickets, and no, it, it was uh, the, the Scottish Presbyterians used kind of tokens and tickets as a way to fence the table, and so Spurgeon sort of adopted that, I think, from the Scottish Presbyterians. Sure, sure, that's good, man. There, there's so many interesting things, at least at least to me, <laughs> about and I know know to you, you've spent. Um, you know, years researching these things. Uh, let's talk, let's see if um, we can talk, take a few minutes to talk about how church discipline, the other side of membership, um, or, the, you know, what goes along with it. So what did, what did the practice of church discipline look like? Did they practice church discipline at Metropolitan Tabernacle? It did, yeah, in a church of uh, 5,000 people. So, um, yeah, what's amazing is that actually, you know, when Spurgeon died, membership was at 5,000, but actually throughout his ministry, 38 years, uh, he actually brought uh, over 13,000 people through the membership process. Oh my goodness. Um, so so I, I think maybe even more remarkable that it was a church of 5,000 is that it was perhaps more remarkable that it was only a church of 5,000. Know? Yeah. That they actually cleaned the membership roles like consistently. Um, so from 13,000 people join membership was at 5,000. Wow. Well, it should be amazing to us that it wasn't more. So you were, you were saying Jeff about how it was just, it was remarkable that they were so thorough in in keeping an accurate membership, um, through caring for the members and through yeah. ch church discipline. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So. I mean, that was a big concern for, for Spurgeon that, that they had an accurate membership role. Um, so they, they had elders uh, who, you know, were committed to sort of caring for people under, under their districts. They divided the congregation into regions, you know, throughout London, and different elders would be given oversight over each district. Uh, and that was one way where they shepherded people. Um, you know, Spurgeon also uh, frequently encourages people, hey, get to know those people around you. Uh, 
you know, care for one another. There's no way 30 elders can care for a church of 5,000. So, so you've got to help us. And so the, the, the membership knew about that. They were, uh, they would often bring to the elders different cases, different things going on in the church. Um, you know, one of the things, one of the more practical things that they did to try to sort of track the membership, see, you know, see who was coming, uh, was in using those communion tickets. So, uh, each, every, I think twice a year, every member would get a, a little card with uh, perforated tickets attached to them. Those tickets would have a number associated with their membership. And whenever they took the Lord's Supper, they would turn in one of those tickets. Uh, and that way, uh, the elders would be able to know um, who's taking the Lord's Supper. And if you missed the Lord's Supper three months in a row, uh, then one of the elders would follow up and, and find out, hey, how, how are you doing? You know, is there, is there something going on? What, you know, is there, is there a concern? Why haven't you been able to come? Uh, so that was kind of practically how they um, sort of just kept track of who was coming along. How would we contextualize uh, what you were learning, what, what you've learned about Metropolitan Tabernacle and how they practice church membership and discipline to today? And maybe think particularly of Henson in the Pacific Northwest. How, how, how did you think through that? Well, you know, London in the 19th century is a very different place from Portland there in the 21st century. So you'd have to contextualize, you know, um, you know the, the challenge in Spurgeon's day was kind of a nominal Christian culture, you know, mm -hmm. being in a very Christianized nation. Uh, everybody, you know, assumed that they were Christians. And, and so for Spurgeon, you know, wanting to emphasize joining a church, but then also wanting to make sure, like, what it, what it means to even be a Christian, right? And and even the church membership process spoke to that, that, that uh, a, a credible profession of faith uh, meant being willing to identify with God's people, even when it's inconvenient, uh, even uh, with your neighbors and your place of work. Um, so, so as we think about Portland today, I mean, I think you guys are doing a, a good work and also recognizing you're living in a very post-Christian context where folks have never been in church and would not identify as Christians. Uh, and so how can we make clear what it means to be a Christian and to be a part of a church while not making it unnecessarily burdensome? Hmm. Uh, and yet the principles are the same. You know, the, the church exists um, as the distinct people of God, distinct from the world. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I really appreciated about the, the tabernacle that, that challenged and convicted me was just that theme of, of the church as the army of God. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that we are rude or, or combative or anything like that. Uh, but for Spurgeon, it just meant a, a kind of activism that should characterize uh, our Christianity. Activism in all the best ways. I was going to say, in Portland, Portland, we understand activism. Yeah, so yeah, you're, that's you're right. In our but, language. In all the biblical ways, right? A, a, a care for the poor, um, a love for the gospel, understanding of the, the, the supremacy of the gospel, but also understanding how, as we... Um, perform deeds of love, that that commends the gospel and upholds the preaching of the gospel. Uh, you know, Spurgeon worked so hard uh, in, in matters of church membership and discipline, but it wasn't just so that the church could be the sort of manicured garden where everybody was accounted for and, and known. Um, yes, that was important, but uh, even more, uh, by promoting kind of healthy church practices, it made the church into kind of this engine, this this army of active, passionate, gospel-believing, gospel-living 
men and women. And, uh, you know, out of the church, they had dozens and dozens of ministries that were started, you know, ministries to care for the poor, different Bible studies, different evangelistic organizations. Um, I think at his 50th anniversary, one deacon got up and read a list of 66 institutions that had come out of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, uh, all different ways that those 5,000 members were working in the city of London to, to get the gospel out. Um, so that's, uh, you know, um, that's what happens when you uh, work for these membership and discipline kinds of things. Uh, it strengthens the church. Uh, it strengthens your witness, strengthens the power of the gospel in your midst. Uh, it unifies the church. Um, and so it's worth, it's worth the hard work. You know, uh, you know, Spurgeon talks about how uh, one day he did 40 membership interviews and it almost killed him because <laughs> he was so tired. In one day. In one day. How is that even possible? I don't know. But, but he says he felt more tired than any farmer, you know, reaping or harvest. Um, but he said if, if he could uh, die doing membership interviews, that'd be a sweet way to go, you know, because it's just, it was just such a joy to hear people coming to Christ. Um, they had, because they had so many people coming through the church and all those, and that long membership process, they had to keep increasing the number of congregational meetings they had. So like uh, at one point they were holding like 20 congregational meetings in a month. Uh, just to be able to see people through the membership process. And they would expect uh, the members to come to those. I mean, of course, not everyone would be able to come. Not everyone come, but a lot of people did come. And uh, and you get the sense that those meetings were actually really joyful. Huh. Uh, it didn't feel like bureaucratic at all, but people were just delighted to hear story after story of people being converted. Uh, so these weren't like, you know, like unhealthy church meetings where people are arguing over the carpet, nothing like that. But they were just kind of celebrating the power of the gospel to save anyways. So, and yeah, for sure, it's not convenient, right. To, to meet all those times and to, to, to have all those membership interviews, but uh, all those things strengthened the church and, and made it into this engine, this army for, for gospel ministry. Uh, and I think that's, that's what we should be encouraged by as we labor in these things, it strengthens the, the health and the witness of the church and the gospel. That's really encouraging. Although it's a little discouraging too, because now I feel like weak sauce. Uh, I feel, I mean, doing membership interviews is probably like one of my favorite things about being a pastor. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure you, um, I don't, will you get to do that as an elder? Maybe sometimes do membership interviews Yeah, maybe at Ronald maybe. road. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I think maybe I've done three in a day, but <laughs> I, I probably, maybe, maybe not. I know I've done two in a day and even that's you, exhausting. No one should ever try to copy Spurgeon. <laughs> <laughs> just in general. <laughs> yeah. Just in general. I mean, he's unique. So yeah. don't try to, don't try to be him, but right. certainly learn from him if you can. Yeah. Well, any, any final kind of like, I know, or is there anything that I've, you know, that you wish I would have asked you that we, we didn't, I've really enjoyed this conversation and felt like, I hope it will be useful to people, but, um, and any, any other, you know, takeaways for you or ways that uh, Spurgeon in particular, his example or stories coming out of the tabernacle have encouraged you and your just your own involvement in the local church, uh, ways that your faith has been strengthened that you like maybe have shared with Stephanie or a friend lately or something you'd like to share with Henson? Yeah. You know, these things that we're talking about are of particular interest to us because we're pastors. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, and it should be of interest, I think, to, to church members also. But uh, beyond kind of Spurgeon as a pastor, boy, if you haven't read his sermons, if you haven't 
gotten to um, learn something of his life, I just I encourage you to do that. You know, where do you start? Uh, Ar- Arnold Dalimore has mm-hmm. a great little biography mm-hmm. on Spurgeon, a good starting point. Uh, on Spurgeon.org, which is the library, the, the website that the Spurgeon Library runs, uh, we're always trying to put out good resources there. And all, all, a lot of his sermons are available for free on that website. Um, beyond reading his biography, I'll just recommend recommend that you just start reading some of his sermons. Mm. His sermons communicate really well, even in the 21st century. Uh, they're just rich, full of theology, uh, but illustrated really well uh, and applied really well. Um, um, yeah, so read his sermons. Morning and Evening is a wonderful devotional. Mm-hmm. I, I recently, you talking about kind of ways in which he's encouraged me. I mean, I recently read a Morning and Evening where he was reflecting on that verse in Romans where, where it says that God is the ju- is both just and the one who justifies the ungodly. And, and Spurgeon talks about how, you know, prior to Christ, God's justice was terrible because as sinners, we're all con- condemned. But now, because Christ has come and he has paid for our sins, God's justice is now this rich source of, of assurance, right? God, God will not punish us for sin anymore because he's just and he's already punished christ and so now his justice becomes like this wonderful spring of assurance and love uh and i just thought that that was so so wonderful mm. to, to think about that know, is that that's day. that's rich um so you got all i mean morning and evening is a wonderful uh, little devotional that would be a good introductory to spurgeon but read his sermons read his biography uh and he's got all kinds of other books that are encouraging also that's great. Thank you for those recommendations. We'll put some of those things in the in the podcast notes. Jeff, anything else you want to say to the good people of Henson Baptist Church? Henson Baptist Church, love you very much. Miss you guys. Uh, I hope I get to see you soon. Know that we're praying for you. Uh, know that whatever good I do here on earth, you played a part in it. And and I'm forever grateful to the Lord for 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 blessing me with my time there in Portland. So God bless you. Back at you, brother. We love you. Much love to to Stephanie and Jubilee and Ransom and Addison. Uh, God's blessing on you, and we'll pray and be praying for you as uh, God willing, you become an elder um, there at Warnell Road Baptist Church. Uh, we would love to see you again here at Henson in the not too distant future. But it was sure good to see you this last summer. Um, so thanks, thanks for taking the time to have this conversation today. Dr. Chang, <laughs> and uh, in the midst of your busy schedule. And uh, thanks for start starting this podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. All right, brother. All right. Well, friends, there it was, the 100th episode of the Disciple Henson podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you are still listening, there is a giveaway prize. This is the little bonus at the end. First person to email or text me. Um, that you love this podcast today or whenever this episode releases uh, gets a $15 gift card to the East Side Coffee Barn workspace. So first person to email or text me and we'll announce the winner at uh, the next podcast. We also need to announce the winners from the children's ministry training. Uh, hopefully you, you winners have already gotten your gift cards. Again, really appreciate uh, all those who have encouraged us to continue on with this podcast and the ways that it's been hopefully uh, encouraging for, for you all, for both members of Henson and those who we've sent out or that we have relationship with. 
Uh, We continue to love to get any feedback as we think about the future of this podcast. We hope to continue to keep it going. Um, I always love getting ideas. If you gave me an idea for this uh, podcast like a year ago and it still hasn't happened, don't worry. I keep a list and uh, who knows, maybe one day we'll come back around to your idea. So thanks to all the great suggestions. Thanks for thinking about how to make this useful for our church family. Until the 101st episode, this is Daniel Schreiner signing off.